Welcome to Thoughts from Home, your conservation podcast from the National Conservation Training Center. We're located along the Potomac River in historic Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and are home to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Thoughts from Home. I'm Mike McAllister. I'll be your host for today, and I'm here with Casey Johnson, who is a land management technician at NCTC. We are going to talk about NCTC's land management practices, specifically tree planting. From suburban backyards to tropical rainforests, trees all around the world are providing the necessities of life. Trees clean our air and water, provide habitat for wildlife, connect communities, and support our health and well-being. Casey, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, and it's a pleasure to be back. So my career with the Fish and Wildlife Service has started at NCTC over a decade ago. I've been part-time here at NCTC since 2009 and full-time since 2011. And since that time, I've had quite a bit of experience planting trees around the property since in the land management program itself, and as it's written in our land management plan, there is a significant opportunity to do that. There is a lot of property here at NCTC, and I see you on every inch of it when I'm out and about. Can you describe NCTC's property and landscape? Absolutely. So backing up a little bit, before NCTC acquired the property, it was worked as agricultural fields. It was a mixed-use agricultural property. And a lot of that did come with open fields for farming. But then we also had this edge habitat, which had mature trees in it, which was great. But now as we've identified what it is that we are working with, there are certain areas that would benefit from improving the wildlife corridors and connecting what would be otherwise considered fragmented habitat. So A lot of what we're doing is connecting those forest areas together by planting trees. We also have riparian areas since we're almost, I would say, a mile of water frontage along the Potomac River. We do have a significant opportunity to improve the habitat along those riparian zones. So is it riparian? Is that like riparian? You're riparian it or or what, what is riparian? It's a clever uh, way to think about it, but no, riparian actually means water. So because we're close to the waterway and it can overrun its banks in in high rain or precipitation events, what we want to make sure is those areas are protected as much as possible from erosion and soil loss, which is, as you know, a big problem. But one of the ways we do that is through planting trees in those areas or improving the habitat to minimize those devastating effects. Okay. I did not know what riparian was. What's a popular tree on campus or species-wise? What's what's common? So we do have common trees. There's common trees and then there's beneficial trees. Ah. So one common tree that we have that might not be of a higher wildlife value would be, say, the box elder, which is a type of maple tree. Okay. But we do have other higher value trees that we try and promote around campus that are both naturally occurring and that we want to try and plant more of. In those areas that we've identified where we want the trees, 
we have to make sure that we're planting the trees in that are cited for that location. What I can do is give you a list of some of the tree species that we focus on. Sure, I think uh, trees are cool. Okay, so as a short list, we have various oaks, cherries, walnuts, hickories, American plum, persimmon, sycamore, white pine, eastern red cedar, eastern cottonwood, willows, elms, hackberry, and of course, like I said, we have various maples. And those are just to name a few. The point that I'm getting at is we want diversity as much as possible. If you have a monoculture of just one tree, you're not really doing the ecosystem any real benefit because as you know, there's plenty of critters out there that require different microhabitats to complete their life cycle or, or just be happy. So having a diversity of plants in the environment goes a long way to fulfilling that. Awesome. Let's talk more about the relationship between trees and biodiversity. What trees specifically are most beneficial to wildlife here at NCTUC, and are dead trees important? So in terms of most important, I would say that could certainly be up to debate. However, there are plenty of people that would argue that oaks serve a very high ecological benefit compared to most other trees that would be found in those similar areas. So for example, an oak tree can promote as many as 400 or more species of caterpillars. There's 400 different species of Absolutely. Caterpillars? So just think about how mind-boggling. I don't know about you, but I can't name 400 yeah. species of caterpillars. There's green ones, there's brown ones. Exactly. But as you can imagine, different oaks can host a whole web of insects. Now, the fact that they're locally native helps. In contrast, if you think about something like a ginkgo tree, the, mm -hmm. the ginkgo biloba, they host zero caterpillars. There's really? no ecological benefit to ginkgo trees. Now, I got to say, they look absolutely amazing in the fall with their foliage, but they don't really serve an ecological benefit when it comes to hosting insects in that regard. So when you're choosing trees, you're selecting them for their benefits to the wildlife, not necessarily what a human would like or think is pretty. True, but the great thing about having that diverse selection of trees is you also get a diverse selection of opportunities to get the look you're going for. Maples is a great example. There's plenty of maples out there that just have amazing fall foliage color. And if that's what you want, there's a native species that absolutely fits that need. So yes, I would think of it in terms of habitat opportunity first. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the human dimension of it, if you're trying to create a certain goal, there should be a native species out there that's perfect. And who would we talk to to uh, find out what species works well in our area? Well, I would say local resources are going to be your best resources. Of course, the internet is always good, but there's local garden clubs and local extension offices, local nurseries, and more specifically, there's local nurseries that specialize in native plants. If you don't have a nursery in your immediate area that carries locally native plants, I would have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, I'm interested in purchasing native plants from you. Do you have the ability to get those? If you're going to give that demand for that company, 
you would essentially be steering their buying mm-hmm. towards what the customer wants. Showing the need and, and maybe Absolutely. They'll, they'll stock it and others can benefit from it. Sure. And I would say those are your best resources to get exactly what you're looking for. And the more locally sourced, the better. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's talk about NCTC's uh, tree planting efforts. Is there anything specific you'd like to share about our efforts? Yeah, and like I said earlier, uh, we have a property that is previous agricultural use. Right now, it's 530 acres of mixed-use property. We do have a lot of buildings on campus, so outside of the building's envelope is where my domain begins. So we have a lot of area to be able to work with, fortunately, for planting trees and diversifying the plant communities in this immediate area. We have, I wanna say, over 10 separate planting areas that either have been planted or that are actively being cared for. Our most recent one was maybe about four acres. Okay. But within that four acres, we were able to plant almost a thousand trees. So you've just improved that habitat and that diversity by a thousand plants in just a very small area. Of course, we're trying to create, again, a wildlife buffer and a habitat corridor for wildlife. But yeah, it's just a really good feeling to know that we have the, the tools and the ability to do something like that for the benefit of conservation. Very interesting to hear. That sounds like a big effort to plant that many trees on that tree plot. Certainly was. There was a lot of people involved and a lot of great volunteers. Of the trees that we are planting, is there a certain species that you're targeting on the new plants or the new planting? That's an excellent question. So when it comes to planting for specific habitat needs, whether it's for a particular critter or a particular habitat type, one of the most important things you want to consider is making sure that the plant or plants that you're choosing for that area will do well in that location. Sunlight, shade, exactly. rain, stuff like that? Yeah, and even the, the soil type. Ah, uh, if, soil if, type. if it's rocky or if it's swampy, if it holds a lot of water, you're mm-hmm. going to you know, choose a plant that likes, quote, wet feet. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's, there's certain trees out there that would benefit and do better in those areas versus something that would prefer a more upland, dry, not as much moisture, probably more exposed to the elements and say high winds, that sort of thing. And when I hear planting trees, I usually think of, I guess, a seed, but you can also plant trees from saplings. What do you recommend? What do you do? Do you use seeds? Do you use saplings? We do a little bit of both. Okay. Here at NCTC, what we have done historically is we will purchase bare root seedlings from a local native plant nursery. Uh, Usually it's a, a tree nursery that specializes in growing young trees and we can buy them from six inches up to, let's say, what they'll call a whip, which is typically four to six foot tall oh, wow. seedling. Okay. Yeah, so the bigger they are, the, the, the more roots they're gonna have, and of course, the bigger the hole you're gonna need to dig, oh, yeah. which is you know maybe something to keep in mind, depending on what your site requirements are for you know, trying to dig that hole. So now, if you had too big a tree or too big a sapling, for your tooling. If you couldn't dig the hole big enough, you can buy too big a sapling. Sure, sure, absolutely. And by extension, you might need to care for it more because its water demands might be higher ah. or 
You might need to stake it more robustly to prevent it from being tossed around in high winds, that sort of thing. I'm new to saplings. Is there anything else I can do to take care of these saplings? Absolutely. Some of the uh, smaller saplings that we have, if they're not ready to go out into the field, we will actually pot up into an appropriately sized container and keep that container for a year or more in our in-house native plant nursery, which I help oversee and care for. Now, the benefit of having a plant nursery is you can shelter the plants as needed until they're robust enough to go out into the field. And in addition to that, we also have different zones within the nursery that will keep either different sized trees or in some cases we'll have herbaceous plants, which are more for use in our pollinator gardens around campus, or we'll have shrubs that Mm -hmm. we want to put in the landscape near buildings to fill the need, whatever that need might be. Ornamental or diversity needs. Okay. Going back to your question, your, your statement about if we collect seeds also, the answer is yes, we do. So when we collect seeds, we try and collect from as local as possible, like I said, Usually it's from campus on site somewhere. And depending on the seed and what it needs to stratify and grow into a plant, we'll hold on to that and do what we have to do. We have raised beds in our native plant nursery that we will overwinter them in the soil outside if necessary. Sometimes we'll keep them in a refrigerator till we're ready to work with them. Okay. If we have other things going on or otherwise just to kind of slow their developmental progress. And yeah, same thing. We grow them to a size until such time they're ready to be planted out into the field and we don't have to tend to them nearly as much. So basically you collect the seeds locally and then you give them the best opportunity to grow And once they're big enough and strong enough, then you go replant them out in the wild where they have a good opportunity to continue growing that, basically. Exactly. Okay. And uh, follow up to that statement, if for any reason we need to replace a plant that did not survive, we do what are called survival checks, where we walk and check the plants periodically, see how they're doing, making sure that they're staked up appropriately. But if they didn't survive, we have the ability to replace that plant for one that's certainly you know more alive and and is likely to do as good or better in that same location so we don't have attrition through dying of all the hard work that we did to create a dense planting area we can maintain that you can keep it going if in case there's some losses over time exactly how has nctc's trees and forests changed over the time that we've been here as you can imagine trees grow they get bigger they do what trees do which is obviously the goal that we're going for. Now, when we do have what they call canopy closure, when those trees get big enough and tall enough and a big enough canopy to start touching one another up in the canopy, then that helps shade out what would then be called the understory. And by doing that, we are minimizing any encroachment or introduction of invasive plants or other low-growing plants that we wouldn't necessarily want there. We're creating the forest system. And over time, as those plants get bigger, more mature, they start producing seed or acorns. And in that process, you're promoting wildlife, you're feeding the critters that rely on that sort of habitat. But then you're also introducing an important part of the process, which is succession. What you're doing is you're getting the kids and the grandkids of those trees established 
And what you're essentially doing is creating a life cycle that you now get to see, well, I don't know how long we'll be alive to see it over and over, but you get to see the process of taking what was essentially an open ground into a more natural forested ecosystem that hopefully, if we did our job right, feeds itself and you know, regenerates itself. And almost auto-regulating. Exactly, in perpetuity. Once it matures, it can regulate and and help control the invasives or undesirable plants growing. And the other thing is, from a habitat standpoint, as trees get bigger, you're essentially creating more surface area. So, Mm. you know, bigger trees have more branches, which can carry more leaves. And from a wildlife standpoint, specifically if we're talking about, say, birding or birds, surface area is huge when it comes to having enough habitat for birds, at least let's say birds that use trees to come in and utilize that space now. Whereas before it was just like a a two-dimensional ground. Yeah. Now you have this three-dimensional space that is now usable by not just birds, but any number of... All those 400 caterpillars? (laughs) Exactly. Right, right. (laughs) If someone were to want to plant a tree on their own, what advice would you give them? I would say the same thing applies as it does in real estate. Location, location, location. Okay. If you have a location that you're starting with and you know where you want to plant, you want to make sure that you have the correct plant for that location. Or conversely, if you have a plant that you know you want to stick in the ground somewhere, make sure that you're not going to have to dig it up in a year or two because you planted it in a spot that isn't the right spot for it. Now, what I mean by that is not just is it going to get enough rainfall or is it going to get enough sunlight, but also think about what's around it, what might be nearby. If you're in an urban setting, there are trees that do great around infrastructure, human-made things like sidewalks and buildings, and then there's trees that would absolutely destroy and devastate infrastructure. Okay. You know, it'll bust up sidewalks. There's trees with roots that go, they follow piping. Really? They follow moisture, Yeah. as you can imagine, but in a sense that's aggressive and destructful. So know your plant, know the location, and make sure that what you're doing is a good fit. And not just for the size of the plant now, but also really consider what the mature size and space the plant will require or end up being towards the end of its lifespan. If you're planting an oak seedling, as you know, they get big and they can have a a height of 80 or more feet and a span of 60 or more feet. So definitely keep that in mind when you're sticking something in the ground. Consider your 50-year plan. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. That is super interesting. I know I really enjoyed learning about trees and tree planting today. Casey, thank you so much for sharing about the important work you and others are doing at NCTC. We hope you, the listener, realize how critically important trees are and consider adding native trees to your property. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Thank you for listening to the National Conservation Training Center podcast series. If you have feedback, thoughts, or stories you'd like to share, contact us at nctc underscore podcast at fws.gov.